This is Fashion in Focus, the weekly New Zealand fashion podcast covering our creative world from a unique perspective. My name is India Leishman. And I'm Murray Bevan. And every week, we'll connect you with the leading designers, editors, influencers, and stylists from all over the world. If you love fashion, this is the podcast for you. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of Fashion in Focus, a podcast brought together by Showroom 22 in Auckland, New Zealand, covering the world of fashion from our unique perspective. On this episode, like every episode, we aim to explore the modern fashion world from various angles, whether they be design, business, trends, social pressures, politics, media, celebrity, or influence. Our guests will join us from all over the world, and they'll all have something to share with you. If Zambezi, Trulise Cooper, and World helped define the baby boomer fashion generation in New Zealand, and Karen Walker and Kate Sylvester are the shining lights of the Gen X designers, then it's fair to say our millennial generation has been the most prolific band of designers to ever surface in New Zealand's creative pool. Ignited by brands such as Juliet Hogan, 27 Names, Huffer, Stolen Girlfriends, Deadly Ponies, Halewood, Lonely, Salasai, Catherine Wilson and the like, These designers' fortunes and ideas were shaped by world events such as New York's 9-11 tragedy and the global financial crisis of 2007 and 2008. Now, our local millennial fashion mavens have been joined by an even newer clutch of talent who have sharpened the point of fashion spear with unparalleled speed and vision. This new bevy of social media emboldened trailblazers have looked offshore almost immediately and have assumed an ease and confidence in the arts of marketing, PR and sales that would likely see them succeed in many of the world's most ruthlessly tough fashion markets. Including the likes of Wynne Hamlin, Georgia Ellis, Paris Georgia, Rachel Mills, Harman Grubisher, Maggie Marilyn et al. Our newest crop of star designers embrace sustainability and proudly wave the Made in New Zealand flag to all who they meet. However, Unlike the boomers and the Gen Xs, these millennial and post-millennial fashion players have found themselves in the midst of the most competitive retail market the world has ever seen, where triumphs are greater, louder and more spectacular than ever before, and equally, the falls from grace plummet them into deep, deep valleys of failure. Driving these wild peaks and troughs is a modern consumer who has almost no loyalty and an attention span to match. Add to this an army of multinational fashion giants who saturate the market at breakneck speed, and what you get is a hectic, unstructured, unreliable, unpredictable, noisy, and unrelenting marketplace. So who would ever want to be a fashion designer, I hear you ask? Enter today's guest, Wynne Crawshaw, the man behind cult Kiwi women's wear brand Wynne Hamlin. A qualified engineer, a Tupuki country boy, one-time land surveyor and champion of the LinkedIn platform. We welcome Wynne to today's edition of Fashion in Focus. Wynne, it's great to have you here at Franklin Road Studios. Thanks, Muzz. <laughs> it's good to be here. <laughs> Thanks for coming along, man. So, yeah, that introduction was uh, partly meant to scare the shit out of you. Yeah. And um, Who would want to be a fashion Sorry designer? to have painted such a bleak picture. <laughs> but... Um, I mean, yeah, I, I stand behind that, that that group that you're in right now 
uh, with some of the designers that I've mentioned is for me, having been in the industry for 17 years, pretty exciting. You seem to have looked at the industry in a completely new way through new lenses and seen huge successes that maybe some of the previous designers have only dreamed of and gone, yep, I can do that in a month or so. Um, whether or not that's uh, naivety or immaturity or actually just uber confidence, um, the fact that some of you have actually achieved those things is pretty wild. Mm. So, you know, you're unique because you came into the industry in a slightly different journey. Yeah, um, sure. What, you know, what did give you the love to spring into fashion? Um, I think generally just the love of creation and making things. I, was, I wasn't fulfilled in my other vocation and... Um, that was just kind of there was an itch that wasn't getting scratched and I think that I I could have landed in any other creative industry or I, I could have even turned out and gone to building or something that I could have even just used a, a tiny bit more of kind of my creative sort of side but it turned out to be fashion just just by chance just the pure fact that I you know, stumbled into the halls of the um, fashion college to do some extra papers and that was that, yeah. Right. So did you yeah. ever have anyone in your life that sort of would take you shopping and you'd kind of get that glean in your eye and you'd see things that you loved or was this something that you came across in your early 20s maybe and then it, it almost happened by chance? No, I think I do have a I, – well, I did have a – like an edge towards clothes um, early on. I used to have, I used to throw tantrums about my own clothes from a very young age. And bizarrely, I actually threw tantrums about what my mum was wearing when I didn't like her outfit as a toddler as well. So that would probably sort of point, point me down the road <laughs> where I was fairly interested in what people were wearing and what, what that was you know yeah yeah um i've got this great image of you doing that as a as a senior designer in your own shop when someone comes out of a fitting room wearing a dress that's <laughs> that doesn't suit them and you just have a meltdown and start throwing the cash register on the ground and biffing your phone around saying take it off yeah it's pretty frustrating for my partner when um she wears something i'm not yeah. super into um i you know obviously try to keep my mouth shut but I'm not somebody that <laughs> easily hides yeah. emotions I, I get the same thing from my wife she looks me up and down in the morning and sometimes she just goes no and, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just going to start again yeah yeah yeah. so hey when your your label started in 2014 and you started by designing a winter 2015 collection mm. so you're round about five years old with around about 10 collections under your belt. Yeah. Um, how, as a business person, probably mm -hmm. more as a more than a designer, especially post-financial crisis, the market here didn't really see a lot of movement mm -hmm. for a long time. You know, when I, I remember when Georgia Ellis came to see us, it was one of the first people that had actually put their hand up to start a new business after the GFC. And it was it was awesome because for a long time we were pretty much like, 
just battening down the hatches in New Zealand fashion was pr- relatively, it wasn't stale. Sort of dormant. But it didn't really move for, mm. for a while. Mm-hmm. So how did you see your business take off? What were some of the early years like? And uh, I mean, your business is incredibly young still, but obviously it's taken on some pretty big leaps and bounds. So as a business owner, talk to me about about uh, learning how to be a business person as well as a, as well as carrying on as a creative yeah well um i guess for for us um the growth in the early years was very quite slow really um which was a blessing in some ways because i mean obviously i didn't have a huge background in fashion at all and so the fact that our initial orders were very small um just kind of gave me this gentle introduction into making clothes and um you know the the hours that were poured into them in the early collections probably probably ended up with you know a a dollar an hour wage for me or something like like ridiculous like that because um there was just all of these lessons that were learned in those early collections um and and yeah, it did it did carry on in quite a sort of like a steady but slow progression for the first probably two or three years. Um, Who were some of your early supporters and the people that you look back on now and think maybe <coughs> if they hadn't have picked me up or a customer hadn't have bought that dress and then one for her daughter and so and so, I might not be here today. Is it does anyone stick out or a retailer that's maybe stood by you? Yeah, I mean, I um, like there's some people like. Um, Rachel Corley from Wellington, Dan and Emma with Black Box. Um, oh, Rachel's shop's um, called Corley. Yeah. And um, um, people, you know, little places like Palm Boutique and um, mm. l- boutiques down the country like that that were really um, first in and just gave me a chance, which was incredible. Mm. Um, and, yeah, I guess, like, Going back, I still have relationships with those people, and and it's kind of it's kind of awesome actually. Mm, yeah, yeah. Mm. and that that exemplifies, I suppose, a lot of what happens in New Zealand is that our market's tiny. You can pretty much lasso the top five retailers pretty easily. Mm, and mm. and to that point, I suppose we get a lot of young designers coming to us saying, "Where do you think I should start selling?" And it's almost the same answer all the time because the the, the top boutiques and the top department stores are few and far between. Mm-hmm. Did you have any idea of that when you came into fashion or did you kind of wing it and think, well, I'll just put it out there and see who comes back? Um, more, more, the sec- more the latter because um, I didn't start out with kind of like, this is a, my business plan, this is where I want to be kind of thing. It was more about I want to make clothes oh, someone wants to buy them, oh, I guess that's a good idea, um, let's sell them. And so even now the the real fundamentals of like how to make it work as a business are still putting themselves into place. Mm. Um, and, you know, like, f- well, I, I'm not sure about the other designers and the other Kiwi designers, but, you know, you talked early on about... Um, our international kind of sales and and doing that and um, for us the volume of sales that we need from international is is um, is really what makes the business 
worthwhile for us and um and so it's only been in the last few years that we've sort of figured that out and that's kind of changed the business mm. fundamentally yeah and just on that note you know to to look at an international growth strategy so early well in my mind anyway so early comparatively to a lot of other brands mm. it almost seems these days that if you were to pick up a pen and start designing clothing next year mm. the likes of you and maggie and georgia ellis and what you've done and how you've achieved international success that's the new template mm. whereas i remember back in the early 2000s we did this thing called um the new wave with new zealand trade and enterprise and we took over about five or six rooms of a hotel in sydney mm. to do sales during fashion week over there and for us that was like so cutting edge you know mm. like and this was you know a decade or more after karen and the likes had gone up to hong kong and london and almost done the same thing but for me to have told ingrid starnes and juliet hogan and Catherine wilson at that stage hey what about we go to paris mm. they would have fallen off their chairs yeah why how do i mean you're not cocky so Talk to me about why do you think that's so achievable for you, and and it's working too. Like, what's this? What's the secret moment that you guys have tapped into? Well, I think that there's probably three things that um, that have that come to my mind just off the bat, mm. and those the first and foremost probably would for me be the internet. Um, sure. Yeah. I mean, not that that didn't exist. Um, 10 years ago or whatever but close I mean I literally remember <laughs> days when the internet didn't exist yeah so I thought um, email was so scary I was like there's only three other people at university with email addresses it seems so daunting yeah 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 um and I guess that that just means that in every facet you know like brands turn up to Paris now and they know that their collection is relevant it's you know keeping with what is being shown in other collections. Um, Does that mean also that you're, as well as having access to the internet and people can see you, do you find that you're doing an enormous amount of research and making sure that you're either keeping up with or not replicating what's out there? Or like, what's your personal view on that? Because also what you could do is oversaturate yourself with too many other ideas mm. and then you kind of back yourself into this tiny dark corner. Yeah, How yeah. do you operate like that? Well, I mean... I think yeah that you're right because in in that aspect of the internet like that um when you're right in the collection zone you have to take yourself away from the internet a lot because you you do have that danger of getting trapped into sort of like trends or um being kind of influenced by imagery that you've seen too much and then having that manifest itself mm. in the collection and you're better to take yourself away and have it have your what's really true to your brand and your aesthetic um, come through, but um, but yeah, I think the internet's been just a huge part of of the kind of our, our generation really Absolutely. being super connected, um, and I guess that that also is a huge part of the other points that I think are meaning that brands can so easily. Um, sell internationally now too and the other one would probably be kind of just general globalization you know like mm. just well ease of travel um i i think even people don't really do kind of like the oe anymore you know like you mm. might move somewhere or you might 
go overseas like at the end of university or school still but people don't go i'm going for one year Mm. um you know like to see this magnificent world that i've never seen before yeah yeah you can see it 24 7 on instagram exactly yeah yeah. so now it's like people like i'm gonna do i might do two months in new york or whatever i mean Mm. um um, a lot of act, to be honest, actually, a lot of Kiwis do spend one year exactly in the states because of the J one visa. But yeah, um, but I think that even that's changed, and it just just traveling and going to markets is a lot easier than it ever would have been. Mm. I know that's not um, per se like amazing environmentally traveling constant um, air whatever, but. Mm. Mm. Yeah, well, I mean, I suppose that to that point, this new generation of of designers is being not only their own personal uh, feelings towards the environment, sustainability. You've got this consumer who's demanding so much more of you mm. than just uh, beauty and value. Mm. You know, so we're dealing with so many other parameters and in consumer interactions than other designers have generally had to face before. Um, so on, on that note, you know, I personally think, you know, yes, sustainability is big at the moment, as it should be. However, soon, consumers are going to expect it. Mm. Then it's not going to be a selling point anymore. People will expect that you make things with with love and care and transparency and you understand your production model and you know your producers, etc. Yeah. So where do you think your group are going to go next? And when I say next, maybe the next two or three years when you you know not that you personally go hey i'm all about sustainability mm. but a lot of other people use it as a sales tool and a look at me kind of tool mm. what happens when that becomes the norm well i think that when it becomes the norm that's fantastic um because it'll mean that it's you know um across the, the board and it's the yeah. norm <laughs> and it's and it's um just good for obviously the environment and for people in general um, but um, that's the that's the challenge in fashion generally and in any product is that having that point of difference, that edge and that newness is um, is constantly on your mind and on your radar. And so it'll just be up to designers then to, to keep that going and, and find a new position where they have a uniqueness that they can sell to the market. Mm. I suppose with regards to your first point before about the internet and seeing so much content so often, Mm. I think it's been really, really easy for creatives and for people all over the world, consumers included, to see what they like and to gravitate towards clubs of designers or clubs of brands or hotels or airlines or cars or whatever that that fit their mould of living more than ever before. Mm. So again, when you've got so many people coming into the market as fashion designers going, well, we think that we should look like this and our carry bags should kind of be like this and everything should be gold embossed and it should have a spray of marble on it because that's kind of what designers and it girls look like now. Mm. You you don't seem to follow that. And I know that you wouldn't say, well, I'm really proud because I look like every other brand out there. Mm. Mm. So what are your points of difference as, as a brand maybe what have you developed in the last five years? And if you could, if you could single out anything else that could have been your little success factor, what mm. personally, what do you focus on, and what are you the most proud of? Um, well, I guess coming from where I did, um, 
the which love, was for which anyone was, who doesn't know well which it was just from you know like a trade-based background i um i was you know working as a land surveyor or whatever i was in construction all that kind of thing and i came into this just purely for the love of making stuff um and so where my kind of niche has been formed is really in in elements of sort of craftsmanship or craft that um, can't be replicated. They can't be um, they can't be manufactured like low level kind of thing. Um, so things like that that are really kind of I, I don't like the word artisan, but things that are kind of crafted and thought about and have sort of a specialness to them mm. and that and that goes along with the quality of the garment too um and so people that have discovered our brand and um and do love it what they really love is these elements that are, are kind of thought out and might be handmade or they might mm. be um a sort of unexpected introduction to the garment and things like that. And I think that that's really where our brand is different from other brands. Mm. And that's, and that's like, there's always something beautiful that comes out of somebody who's an outsider in an industry. Something that I can see, which is so very different and, and amazing uh, and, and good in your new generation of New Zealand fashion creatives is a sense of community. Mm. And I've never seen it really before. I know that some designers, you know, you've got Margie at Nom D, who's Liz at Zambezi's sister. So there's some there's some pretty clear um, synergies there. Your group is different. You guys go out to dinner together. You share supplier details. You talk about sharing showrooms in Paris. You, you know, give each other a helping hand and say, hey, I need new buttons or I need this or how do you guys find DHL as a freight forwarder? You know, I'm with FedEx at the moment and should I change? What's your take on on why you've knitted each other together so so closely and why that continues to be something that you do? Um, I guess, well, I, I can't really comment on why it hasn't been like that in the past for other designers and other groups. But I guess, in my opinion, for us, is that the, there is so many labels in the world, and I, and it's probably part of the whole fact that we're really competing internationally. And there's so many designers out there, you know, going to market, trying to grab the spots in these retailers. And so, you know, the next door neighbour our other Auckland designers, they're not really our competitors. They are, but they're one of thousands, you mm. know. So it's not really of any interest or any benefit, really, not to be collaborating with them in terms of helping each other out because um, there's just way more benefit to be had than um, potential loss of IP or whatever it might mm. be. Um yeah, I remember when Topshop came into New Zealand and, and there was a lot of worry from local retailers that they would just eat them, you know. Mm. And one of the talking points around that to waylay people's fears was to say, well, look, the shop next to you is not your biggest competition anymore. It's everyone, everywhere, all the time. Yeah, exactly. You know? yeah. Like, are you, you're not, if you're not worried about Amazon 
then that's a bigger problem for you than, you know, to Cuba next door. Mm. Um, you know, I think you'll actually be fine. And if you've got a great product and a good point of difference, a loyal customer base, strong marketing strategy and truth and honesty and good value, you'll be okay. Yeah, There's yeah. enough people in the world to sustain your business. And I think also that the funny thing about it is that when you do get past, you know, worrying about sharing things with them for the potential of them stealing it or whatever it is, that you realize that those other designers or those people are the people that have so much in common with you, obviously, and, and some of the only people that really understand what struggles you have or what you're you might be going through and ride the same mm. up and down yeah wave of sales and everything yeah have you found that there's been similar amounts of interest and support from maybe those other generations have you had designers reach out to you or have you reached out to them and said hey how do i get over this next hurdle or you know have you maybe gone into aut and shared some of your knowledge with with other generations like you do find yourself either dipping back into an older generation or reaching out to that to a newer generation um or do you want to I want to. I haven't. Um, I haven't had much at all to do with younger generation at all. Um, you, I mean, you're not old. So. No, no, I know. There are <laughs> young, there are some younger designers, you know, coming through. Yeah, and great ones too. Mm. And um, and no, I just I haven't really had um, much. I've I'm definitely here and open to any that um, want to come through. Um, but yeah, in saying that, it's probably the same question as to why I haven't really done a huge amount of reaching out to older designers. I mm. definitely ha have, you know, put the odd phone call through to like, you know, the other day rang, um, Wayne Conway to ask about mm. pattern software and stuff <laughs> like, you know, like, um, but, but, and what did Wayne Conway say? Did he help you out? Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, good. But, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know why. I think may, maybe when they're, they're not so familiar to you, there is like an element of kind of um, just holding back. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, to be honest, I've, I've been really, really impressed and completely surprised at, at how much you guys all work together in that new crop. And I think you're right. You're probably going into new frontiers that most designers previous to you in New Zealand haven't really experienced before. And, you know, the next the next trip for you will be to do a Dion Lee or something and, and, and really go into a New York or a Paris-type environment like Karen used to do in mm. London and New York and, and show every six months and be a part of Fashion Week and take your experience from New Zealand and, and do that offshore mm. instead of simply going into a a week-long trunk show and, and being one of many thousands of people that are trying to sell sell their wares and actually make a big statement on the international stage. Mm, Which mm. kind of brings me to, you know, you talk about Fashion Week and the industry and, and generational things and the way things are changing. And I want to touch on a couple of things. First of all, Fashion Week, and second of all, we'll come to media because mm -hmm. the, the way, obviously, media is being created and consumed with the internet is vastly different to how it was when... I started or when Zambezi started 40 years ago. What do you think about the relevance of fashion weeks around the world? You know, you've been a part of New Zealand Fashion Week. You weren't this year because you traveled to Paris, I believe your company did, to, to take an opportunity over there. Um, 
what's your personal take on it? You obviously, you've done your shows in New Zealand, I think 2017 was your debut there. You've done some big shows, you've done some small installations. What's the future of that as a format for designers? Bearing in mind, you could hit any market and any consumer anywhere in the world at any time of day with a Facebook ad or an Instagram post. Totally. What's the point of difference of Fashion Weeks? Um, I think um, when I when I was starting, everybody was saying, "Oh, well, like you know, are you are you going to do shows? Shows are, are shows irrelevant. What's happening with showing?" Um, and and I think. Th- Everybody thought, oh, by this time there will be no such thing as Fashion Week, and and what, like any type of hysteria, it's obvious, it's never really like that extreme. Mm. And what I think's happened with Fashion Week is that it's just changed, mm. and and the, the way that it's changed is, I I can only speak from the perspective of New Zealand is that, it's, it's still about wholesale and it's mm. still about selling to retailers but much more so than it used to be it's about um connecting with your consumers mm. and so you know obviously social media um it's about it's about having you know the the presence online showing that you're showing who's there who mm. else is posting about that show mm. um and and i guess that that I mean that's particularly relevant for New Zealand Fashion Week because um, social media and the internet just means that you can portray that as just a show that may be in New Zealand, but it may it could be anywhere in the world. And for mm. for for um, people consuming that content online, they probably know that it's at New Zealand Fashion Week, but that's not the part that registers. What registers mm. is that this show looks incredible mm. this has been posted da 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 mm. and so it's really just meant that it's kind of just this um sort of time for people to create content yeah 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 <laughs> yeah and yeah i mean that as a as a marketer i suppose that's definitely been something that we've seen a rise of and that you know maybe the 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 old structure of a six monthly lookbook, mm. um, you know, used to be the norm. And then people said, oh, I'm going to tack some campaign shots onto the end of it. And that mm. was kind of like revolutionary, you know, because a campaign wasn't shot on a white background with a model staring blankly down the camera, mm. you know. And then now you, you know, you juxtapose that with this whole world of content creation, which great designers do all the time anyway. You know, I mean, you're own Instagram is full of stuff that you've orchestrated and then other things that may be haphazard. And then mm. Fashion Week, and I all, this is probably my biggest talking point with, with people that do Fashion Week, is that, yes, it's awesome, and it's this big juggernaut, and it's this big moment, but it's also only one week out of 52 in the year. Mm. So you've, and these days, that argument is more relevant than ever. You've got to be like on your, on fire, basically 52 weeks of the year just to keep your head above water. Yeah. You know? The other thing about Fashion Week that I think is really interesting, and this is just stuff that like is kind of I'm thinking about now. I've never I never really have before. But what's gonna- it's what happens to people on this podcast? God, things just go super <laughs> deep. You start having this transformative experiences. Pe- yeah, I mean, yeah, people can't see from 
the podcast, but this room is very much kind of like a what I imagine a psychologist's room to look like. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's a mood. The other thing about showing in general is that, you know, I we've always been a brand that shows and creates shows, and I think that's awesome. And not every brand is suited to that. But I think what there is about showing that's possibly like something that, you know, is a difference between brands that want to differentiate themselves and brands that potentially are on the, like, you know, differentiate themselves from the kind of more fast fashion Mm. or side of the world is that like, to have a show, you need to have a narrative for the collection and the collection really needs to be about something Mm. and you need to be telling that story. Mm. And that's something that sort of, is a huge part of our brand and mm. um, is something that's different from brands that potentially wouldn't show. Yeah. Do you think your customers, and be honest, do you think, and this won't be for all of them, mm. do you think they care about the narrative and the story or do you think they just want a nice dress that fits their budget? Yeah, no, they don't care, but I think that, like, like I don't... I. Oh, I got to be careful with what I say. I, <laughs> like I don't care about organic food, but I love that the food that it, I buy that is organic is mm. really high quality and and healthy. Yes. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's kind of you like, understand it and you appreciate yeah. it, but you're not going to like sit there dreaming about it. All yeah. The time. So I think that the customers maybe don't know or don't care that there's a narrative behind each piece in each collection, mm. but they do really care that when they go into the store, there's these elements in the clothes that are mm. really special yeah. and and that's how they arrive there. Mm. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we, ha- we have a couple of clients who make, uh, they don't make apparel, they make footwear mm. and uh, they, can't, they can't get any um, production assistance in New Zealand with their product. So they have to go offshore mm. and they're still faced with customers who, all of a sudden, after many, many years of being in business, customers will walk into their store and find out that it's not made in New Zealand. Mm. And they'll have this meltdown and say, well, I'm never shopping with you ever again. And the staff have to go, do you understand our business at all? And that the New Zealand market doesn't actually offer us any ability to create this product here. We have to go offshore. So those beautiful shoes that you're wearing that are so comfortable and affordable, we can't make them here. So it's not our fault, you know, and that's, and that I suppose that that blends with that sustainability thing where people might say, well, you know, and I heard someone from Ruby and, and Kate Sylvester the other day at Fashion Week arguing with a guy from the warehouse about white T-shirts. Mm. And he's like, well, I've got a, a role and an actual duty to, to supply most of New Zealand with affordable clothing. And, you know, Emily Miller Sharma and Kate Sylvester were going, well, you know, the the for us to make a white T-shirt in a in an ethical way it has to be a hundred dollars and this guy's like you're living in a fantasy world people in new zealand can't afford a plain white t-shirt for a minimum of a hundred bucks and they were saying well but that's the problem you know so there's all of these things you know jumping around the place and some people are like well i care so deeply and that's why i'm going to make this informed purchase and i'm sure lots of those people go home at night and drive their petrol driven cars and you know and and go to kmart and buy a buy a, a lamp for six ninety nine and don't blink an eyelid, you know, without thinking where did this come from? Yeah. That's so, actually I'm sorry to interrupt. I just had this re- revelation that why 
again, <laughs> man, this podcast like, is you know, I'm trying them. to wear more shirts, like I'm trying to, you know, I'm trying to grow up a bit. Just trying to look a bit smarter. Yeah, trying to look yeah. smart. And and I just realized that, you know, like it is true that you can't I you can't really ethically make a t shirt for six ninety nine or whatever it is. But then I thought, what you know, like but work like, you know, the just on the radio this morning the the um the benefit in New Zealand is something like two hundred and fifty dollars a week, mm. which is near impossible to actually live on. And I thought, oh well, like T shirts will wear out like very mm. fast. And so it is impossible for those people to wear $100 t-shirts, even if they'd bought one and tried to keep it for two years, that's impossible too. Mm. And then I thought that's actually why people always used to wear shirts. Yeah. (laughs) Not (laughs) (laughs) t-shirts. Yeah. Well, they might, they, yeah, they look a bit nicer. They might wear a bit longer. Mm. They're not going to be so close to your body and, you know, look after them and they, they, you know, Mm. my grandfather would have shirts that he's, Worn for 10 years, you know. Mm. Do you want to elaborate and tell our listeners, uh, you mentioned about um, listening to the radio, You've, uh, your recent milestone with um, with a certain talkback radio station in New Zealand? Uh, well, I, I mean, I listen to talkback continuously <laughs> to my probably, you know, not super great for my mental health at times when it's just all about politics or whatever it is but I listen to Marcus Lush religiously and mm. um, he's got it there's that he gives out key rings to his um, regular callers and I've just been granted the the honor of having one of his key rings wow. so it's in the mail I'm pretty excited so listeners that <coughs> is the new holy grail of uh, the millennial fashion generation you've also got to pair that with a, a dedication to talkback radio but I'm uh, I'm I'm like I'm I'm not the norm. I mean, I'm <laughs> I I've just started refusing to use the self checkout at the supermarket because I think that you know they should be putting staff on the tills. You know, like I'm literally 80 years old in my mind. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you're also you're helping people keep employment, which is great. Good on you, Win Crawshaw, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Hey, so let's go back to the media thing, which we talked about before. And yes, Fashion Week's relevance, people's consumption of media, people's demand for more ideas, this relentless pursuit of more, 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 next, next, next. What else have you got? What, I mean, in fashion and marketing, we're still big, big fans of print, Mm. big fans of magazines. Um, What about you? What do you think of, of, of the world's printed media situation at the moment? Well, it's interesting because, you know, like anyone, I'm taking in multitudes of images on Instagram and online. And the occasional time when I have got a magazine in front of me does really have a different impact than anything you see on the screen, Mm. Um, which... I guess I, I haven't got a huge amount to say about that, but that's just the, the experience that I've had mm. recently. And um, and it's, it really conjures different um, stuff for me. And it kind of, you see a piece in an editorial um, on that, you know, glossy page, and it really has, a, it just has a different effect. Mm. And I think that... Um, what are your, some of your favourite magazines around the world at the moment? 
Uh, well, I've like just always been a big purple fan. O thirty two C. Yep. Um, yeah, things like that. I guess um, definitely things that are very much kind of like northern hemisphere and get give us a taste of of what's happening. Um, mm. And and it's I guess from a perspective that it's more engineered and there's been more production and more budget put into it than any kind of mm. post that you might see. Sure. And that's, again, I suppose one of those things that I can see generationally with designers nowadays is that um, you are faced with this crazy, hectic market, which is so fractured. And there's, on one hand, you could say, I'm not going to really care about much. I'm just going to pump out lots of product, lots of ideas, low value and hit the biggest market possible. But in New Zealand, what I see generally at the top end of the the pointy end of the spear is a whole lot of people who will take time and will create narratives and will create moments and beauty and beauty, something that I think has been lost in the world, you know, because we're so focused on consumption all the time. And on the point of media, again, it's a little bit disappointing and it's a bit sad, I suppose, that media also are being pushed to challenge with Instagram. Mm. You know, Viva and Fashion Quarterly and Remix and all those guys, they're trying to think, well, can we be a part of that game too? Or what's our point of difference? And is someone going to put my magazine in the bin tomorrow or should they keep it for three months? What do you think are some of the ways or some of the, the media maybe in New Zealand who are doing a great job at creating moments of beauty, moments of euphoria, storytelling that mean something, that are going to convince people to pick up you know, a magazine and keep it rather than that that line that would just say, look, pump it out, more ideas, don't worry about it too much, get on to the next deadline, it's coming too fast. Who do you think in this country's doing a, a great idea to support the narrative and the and the beauty of fashion? Oh well I mean I think that the the outlets that are doing amazingly are, you know, no surprises. You know, I, mm. I'm a huge Viva fan and that's become a cult. Mm. in New Zealand or in Auckland especially because every Wednesday it's it's um it's there and it's got this readership that's just so present yeah and um yeah that's a good way to sum it up and I guess like it's what what like it's about it's about talking to your audience you know what the reason Mm. that they're doing a great job is that they present things that are like fashion or music or food or whatever they are, in a way that the audience that's there, which for them is very varied and very broad, Mm. um, can consume. Um, And and so, you know, I'm reading things in there every Wednesday that I I wouldn't normally read about Mm. or I wouldn't normally... But you trust it and you go there because you think anything that's in those pages is probably going to talk to me as a person... If yeah. not directly, maybe I'll learn something new. Exactly, and like, and on that note, you know, someone like F FQ, they do a great job of um, presenting things in a little bit more of specialized light. You mm. know, the reader of FQ has some interest in fashion, mm. um, and so there you can go for a little bit more of an in depth sort of analysis or 
editorial or whatever it is mm. um that you know that's also something that i i i read you know mm. yeah and and you look at fashion quarterly you look at viva remix denizen you know mind food all of them mm. of course they have to survive through advertising mm. and what what we see so much of the time these days is a new generation of designers who are digital natives they traditionally don't advertise at all um, they probably still love editorial but they may not be willing or may not be able to to advertise mm. and you know you see that with with certain magazines where you advertise and you're in a partnership with them and they'll support you and if you don't advertise they'll politely say look we we have to support our advertisers yeah and then you see other magazines who are like, we retain full editorial integrity, we'll do and say whatever we want, but yes, we'll take advertising because we need to to stay afloat. Where where do you think, because I mean, sometimes creatives think advertising is a dirty word, mm. uh, but it's also essential because otherwise the media will disappear. Mm. You know, Whereas you can have an Instagram account for free, but yeah. you're probably spending thousands of dollars creating the content that you put on that. And maybe you could put some of that into advertising. What are your personal thoughts about the future of advertising, the future of media, and how a modern generation that's so digital focused and that still loves print, mm. how are you going to respond to that and how are you going to help that medium survive in the future? Do you think you're just going to have to bite the bullet and start advertising in, in droves? Otherwise, you know, because Beds Are Us and Farmers and L'Oreal, I suppose they can't pay the bills forever. You know, and maybe no. those media will turn around and they'll say to these young designers, "Hey guys, you got to pony up." Yeah. What are your thoughts on that? I think that, um, well, it's something I haven't thought a lot about because we've never been in the position at all that we've had any budget available. Um, but you, it's an interesting point that you make about potentially um, using some of our spend on creating content and whatever to put into advertising which is still minimal but mm. nonetheless but uh, everyone if everyone put in a little bit of mm. something these guys would you know their their coffers would be a little bit fuller yeah absolutely and we and we're in an interesting place i guess just within the new zealand um sort of little i guess ecosystem mm. that um we're not a new designer anymore and we're we're sort of just about not a young designer mm. Um, you're, so, you're five years old. Yeah, yeah, you're yeah. Not a baby, We're not baby, but you're not a teenager. Like, oh, here's, <laughs> you're just a toddler. Here's your cover. You doing good things, <laughs> young man. Yeah. You know. Um, but yeah, no, I think you. I think you're right, and I, I, I just as much as anyone want the media and print media to be here yeah. and to stay, and. Um, and yeah, I think that when the time comes and when there is budget and some extra cash around that like, you know, that that probably will go towards some advertising spend. Mm. And yeah, like I a cover's a cover. Yeah. Like social media or not, that's a cover. Mm. And whether the the maximum impact that you get from it is posting the picture of the cover mm. online mm. doesn't matter, it's still a cover. Yeah, and um, it's got a special place in the fashion world. Mm. You know, I think editorial will always have that, and it's it's something that I see a magazine like Black Magazine has done so well since it started. Mm. You know, and, and Rachel, 
and Grant, when they started Black, obviously they had a, a history with other magazines like Planet Magazine. Mm-hmm. And Rachel had been a huge part of Pavement Magazine when it was around, you know. And, and your consumers, especially your young ones, won't remember either Pavement or uh, Planet. Yeah. But they, they, they laid the foundations for this amazing independent media uh, landscape that we have here. You know, Pilot Magazine was another magazine that's been and gone. Uh, which was independent. Pulp magazines been and gone, independent. Black magazines still around, Remix independent, Mind Food independent, Denizen independent. You know, like Bauer Media owns a huge amount of magazines, but um, and they all have their own tone of voice, but they're supported by each other. There's yeah. this big groundswell of activity. But I think, you know, people laugh about New Zealand being the leaders of per capita anything in the world, but I, I do actually, hand on heart, think we have the most magazines titles per capita than you know producing the most magazines per capita than any country in the world and it's something that i think we should be incredibly proud of but also not take for granted because those are the magazines that have supported you and maggie and karen and zambezi and stolen and lonely Mm. and hopefully will continue to do so yeah because as we you and me as how old are you 29 29 i'm 40 we both act like 80 year olds and we (laughs) and we love print and we wanted to see it continue you know um, yeah. So while everyone's like pushing Instagram and pushing digital and flying to Paris and doing all this stuff, we still want to come home and go to our newsstand and, and buy a magazine and not have to buy, you know, an offshore one that has no uh, insight into the New Zealand market. You know? mm, yeah, no, totally. What do you think about the, the, the onset of some of the biggest digital players in, in the world and the biggest marketplaces, Amazon being probably the biggest at the moment, mm. unequivocally? Um, I don't think at the moment that it's having a bit. It's having an impact on your market in particular, a boutique, uh, established, independent fashion market just for women. Mm. What are your thoughts about how to expand into the market and use those channels uh, in a unique way that that may benefit you, or? Are you just trying to avoid them for as long as possible and, and do it your way and uh, be be nimble and be boutique? Um, you you mean like um, just generally larger online retailers and yeah, stuff like, like that? Yeah, why not start selling through Amazon tomorrow? Oh, yeah, I think you're right. Like uh, there is there is great or huge opportunity for um, different channels um, within the kind of designer luxury boutique market um i don't have any idea how you would or what they are Mm. (laughs) but that i i just think yeah totally there's stuff out there that is potentially massive Mm. that's not just near a porte or yeah matches you know and you think that it's going to take someone to be a trailblazer and do that first for other people that maybe think it's okay or okay now that's the done thing like going back to the beginning you guys are setting whole new pathways for designers in New Zealand that have never ever been done before never at the speed mm. and never it with your youthfulness on on the side you guys are uh, rewriting the pathway for new designers so so what's the next pathway that you're going to open up yeah well and I, I think you know like uh, other cultures are probably have kind of almost superseded because in our 
in the designers I know, everybody's um, fixated just on the online or the retailers that are mm. there and present for them right now. Mm. And I think that other cultures, like especially China and places like that, they're, they're doing sales in a completely different way mm. that we're just going, whoa, oh, mm. that's happening, you mm. know? Um, and, you know, like places like WeChat and things like that are huge and they're mm. worlds that I'm just beginning to discover. Mm. And um, Yeah, I met an influencer the other day called Stephanie from New Zealand and she we've never dealt with her before. So we've been operating for 17 years and she's never come across our our doorstep Mm. so she contacted us and came in and i was like great you know she's chinese she lives in new zealand she's got a couple of kids lives here with her husband and i said so tell me about yourself and she goes oh so i've i'm on instagram and i've got you know maybe 20 or thirty thousand instagram followers and i was like that's great um you know she's she's not small but she's not big and then she goes oh yeah i've got a combined you know audience of 400,000 people on YouTube and I'm on Weibo and I'm on this and I'm on that. And I'm like, I just got so excited Mm. because generally, you know, like we have clients like Levi's and Adidas Originals and their idea of a micro influencer is about 300,000 to 500,000 influencers on, uh, sorry, followers on Instagram. Mm. That's their idea of micro. Our idea of micro here is about three to 6,000. Yeah. And a mega influencer is like, maybe 50 to 80,000 and theirs is of course in the millions. Mm. So for me, this, this young lady with 400,000 people, I was like, that just pushes us into this new stratosphere. And on some one hand I go, that just, it feels a bit local schlocal, a bit kind of hokey and a bit New Zealand. And I go, Oh, I wish we had a a Kylie Jenner who Mm. lived in Torbay with a hundred million, million, you know, followers. But at the same time, I go, but that's why I love New Zealand because yeah. it's we can knit it together and we can see that person over the fence and we can call Maggie and get some advice and we can ring Georgia and say, hey, tell me about that thing you just did in Paris and how can I do it too? You know, like I think our smallness is cool. Oh, well, that's it really is that um, everyone that's here has chosen to be here. You yeah. Know? Um, yeah. And any, everybody had the opportunity to leave and start or whatever it yeah. was um yeah i think that's something that resonates with me and it's karen walker used to say it all the time and people used to ask her all the time probably still do why did you never go overseas why didn't you live offshore she's like because i love coming home yeah you know and and especially now um she can go anywhere in the world she can be in she can instagram tv from her house and be beamed around the world instantaneously as can you all mm. but you've all decided to make new zealand your home and take on the world from here. Well, it's a pretty awesome concept. Yeah, I mean, people people generally agree that this place, in terms of out wider New Zealand and what we've got here, is paradise. Mm. And um, and that's the dream, really, is that you know you can live here and do amazing things internationally around the world, whatever. Um, but being able to you know, like go to the op shops in Tepuki on Saturday is pretty important to me. Mm. Um, and I guess that, you know, I've had aspirations of kind of like being Parisian or like, you know, being able to, you know, like, I don't know. I'd, I don't know why. Walk down the perfect cobbled lane. Totally. Drinking a short black and, 
you know, munching on a croissant as you stare <laughs> wistfully at the Eiffel Tower. Yeah. Um, but really, it doesn't get a whole lot better than being able to, you know, drive to Piha or whatever, mm. does it? No, it doesn't get much better than that. Or living in Titarangi. Or living in Titarangi. Yeah, in the forest. Well, when we are at 55 minutes, thank you so much for today. That's a nice way to end this conversation. We've talked about Amazon eating the world and running on that treadmill that is fashion every day. Uh, thank you so much for your time today. Thanks for sharing some of your insights. Um, I hope that everyone's been listening today will take something away and support New Zealand fashion, understand a little bit more about about our generational shifts and, and what's happening, how hard it is for these guys to, to make ends meet and, and how wonderful it is that they're sticking around and, and making another layer of this, um, of this industry uh, keep going and keep being successful. So thank you, Wynn. All the best for the future. Thank um, you, Maz. I think it's great you're doing this. Cheers, man. That was the latest from Fashion and Focus. Thanks for tuning in and being a part of our conversation. If you want more, make sure you subscribe to get a fresh episode in your inbox every week. Check out more of our episodes on your favourite podcast feed and get in touch with us at fashionandfocus at showroom22.com.